Welcome to the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, explained, confirmed, and vindicated by Dr. John Owen. We are continuing to read at page 14 for this reading. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts, are on the web at www.swrb.com. Also, please consider, pray, and act upon the found in the following quotation by Charles Spurgeon. As the Apostle says to Timothy, so also he says to everyone, Give yourself to reading. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritanic writers and expositions of the Bible. The best way for you to spend your leisure is to be either reading or praying. And now, to SWRB's reading of the Doctrine of Justification by Faith, which we hope you will find to be a great blessing, and which we pray draws you nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ, for He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by Him. John 14, verse 6. Secondly, a due consideration of God, the judge of all, necessary unto the right stating and apprehension of the doctrine of justification. Romans, chapter 8, verse 33. Isaiah, chapter 43, verse 25. And chapter 45, verse 25. Psalms 143, verse 2, Romans chapter 3, verse 20. What thoughts will be engenerated hereby in the minds of men? Isaiah chapter 33, verse 14. Micah chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. The plea of Job against his friends and before God, not the same. Job chapter 40 verses 3 to 5 and chapter 43 verses 4 to 6. Directions for visiting the sick given of old. Testimonies of Jerome and Ambrose. Sense of men in their prayers. Daniel chapter 9 verses 7 and 18. Psalms 143 verse 2. And Psalms 130, verse 3 and 4. Paraphrase of Austin on that place. Prayer of Pelagius. Public liturgies. Secondly, a due consideration of him whom in this manner we have to do, and that immediately is necessary unto a right stating of our thoughts about it. The scripture expresses it emphatically, that it is God that justifieth. Romans chapter 8, verse 33. 
and he assumes it unto himself as his prerogative to do what belongs thereunto. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Isaiah 43, verse 25. And it is hard, in my apprehension, to suggest unto him any other reason or consideration of the pardon of our sins, seeing he has taken it on him to do it for his own sake, that is, for the Lord's sake. Daniel chapter 9, verse 17, in whom all the seed of Israel are justified. Isaiah 43, verse 25. In his sight, before his tribunal, it is that men are justified or condemned. Psalms 143, verse 2. Enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. And the whole work of justification, with all that belongs thereunto, is represented after the manner of a juridical proceeding from God's tribunal, as we shall see afterwards. Therefore, says the Apostle, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. However, any man be justified in the sight of men or angels by his own obedience or deeds of the law, yet in his sight none can be so. Necessary it is unto any man who is to come unto a trial in the sentence whereof he is greatly concerned duly to consider the judge before whom he is to appear, and by whom his cause is finally to be determined. And if we manage our disputes about justification without continually guard unto him by whom we must be cast or acquitted, we shall not rightly apprehend what our plea ought to be. Wherefore, the greatness, the majesty, the holiness, and sovereign authority of God are always to be present with us in a due sense of them when we inquire how we may be justified before Him. Yet is it hard to discern how the minds of some men are influenced by the consideration of these things and their fierce contests for the interests of their own works and their justification. Non-English words but the scripture does represent unto us what thoughts of him and of themselves, not only sinners, but saints also have had, and cannot but have, upon their discoveries and effectual conceptions of God and his greatness. Thoughts are of ensuing on a sense of the guilt of sin, filled our first parents with fear and shame and put them on that foolish attempt of hiding themselves from him. Nor is the wisdom of their posterity one jot better under their convictions without a discovery of the promise that alone makes sinners wise which tenders them relief. At present, the generality of men are secure and do not much question but that they shall come off well enough, one way or another, and the trial they are to undergo 
But as such persons are altogether indifferent what doctrine concerning justification is taught and received, so for the most part, for themselves, they incline unto that declaration of it which best suits their own reason, as influenced by self-conceit and corrupt affections. The sum whereof is that what they cannot do themselves, what is wanting that they may be saved, be it more or less, shall one way or other be made up by Christ, either the use or the abuse, of which persuasion is the greatest fountain of sin in the world, next unto the deprivation of our nature. And whatever be, or may be, pretended unto the contrary, persons not convinced of sin, not humbled for it, are in all their ratiocinations about spiritual things, under the conduct of principles so vitiated and corrupted. See Matthew chapter 18, verses 3 and 4. But when God is pleased by any means to manifest His glory unto sinners, all their prefidences and contrivances do issue in dreadful horror and distress. An account of their temper is given to us in Isaiah 33, verse 14. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Nor is it thus only with some peculiar sort of sinners, the same will be the thoughts of all guilty persons at some time or other. For those who, through sensuality, security, or superstition, do hide themselves from the vexation of them in this world, will not fail to meet with them when their terror shall be increased and become remediless. Our God is a consuming fire. And men will one day find how vain it is to set their briars and thorns against him in battle array. And we may see what extravagant contrivances convinced sinners will put themselves upon under any real view of the majesty and holiness of God. Micah chapter 6 verse 6 and 7 Wherewith, says one of them, Shall I come before the Lord, and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Neither shall I ever think them meet to be contended with all without the doctrine of justification, who take no notice of these things, but rather despise them. This is the proper effect of the conviction of sin, strengthened and sharpened with the consideration of the terror of the Lord, who is to judge concerning it. And this is that which, in the papacy, meeting with an ignorance of the righteousness of God, has produced innumerable superstitions, inventions for the appeasings of the consciences of men who by any means fall under the disquietments of such convictions. 
For they quickly see that nothing of the obedience which God requires of them, as it is performed by them, will justify them before the high and holy God. Wherefore they seek for shelter in contrivances about things that he has not commanded to try if they can put a cheat upon their consciences and find relief in diversions. Nor is it thus only with profligate sinners upon their conditions, but the best of men, when they have had near and efficacious representations of the greatness, holiness, and glory of God, have they been cast into the deepest self-abasement and most serious renunciation of all trust or confidence in themselves. So the prophet Isaiah, upon his vision of the glory of the Holy One, cried out, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. Chapter 6, verse 5. Nor was he relieved by any evidence of the free pardon of sin. Verse 7. So, holy Job, in all his contests with his friends, who charged him with hypocrisy, and his being a sinner guilty in a pe- peculiar manner above other men, with assured confidence and perseverance therein, justified his sincerity, his faith, and trust in God against their whole charge and every parcel of it. And this he does with such a full satisfaction of his own integrity, as that only he insists at large on his vindication, but frequently appeals to himself unto God himself, as unto the truth of his plea. For he directly pursues that counsel with great assurance, which the Apostle James so long after gives unto all believers. Nor is the doctrine of that Apostle more eminently exemplified in any one instance throughout the whole Scripture than in him. For he shows his faith by his works, and pleads his justification thereby. As Job justified himself, and was justified by his works, so we allow it the duty of every believer to be. His plea for justification by works, in the sense wherein it is so, was the most noble that ever was in the world, nor was ever any controversy managed upon a greater occasion. At length this Job is called into the immediate presence of God to plead his own case, not now as stated between him and his friends, whether he were a hypocrite or no, or whether his faith or trust in God was sincere, but as it was stated between God and him, wherein he seemed to have made some undue assumptions on his own behalf. The question is now reduced unto this on what grounds he might or could be justified in the sight of God. To prepare his mind into a right judgment in this case, God manifests his glory unto him and instructs him in the greatness of his majesty and power. And this he does by a multiplication of instances because under our temptations we are very slow in admitting right conceptions of God. Here, the holy man quickly acknowledged that the state of the case was utterly altered. All his former pleas of faith, 
hope, and trust in God, of sincerity and obedience, which, with so much earnestness he before insisted on, are now quite laid aside. He saw well enough that they were not pleadable at that tribunal before which he now appeared, so that God should enter into judgment with him thereon with respect unto his justification. Wherefore, in the deepest self-abasement and abhorrence, he betakes himself unto sovereign grace and mercy. For, then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer, yea, twice, but I will proceed no farther. Job chapter 40, verses 3 to 5. And again, here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. Chapter 42, verses 4 to 6. Let any men placed themselves in the condition wherein now Job was, in the immediate presence of God. Let them attend unto what he really speaks unto them in his word, namely, what they will answer unto the charge that he is against them, and what will be their best plea before his tribunal, that they may be justified. I do not believe that any man living has more encouraging grounds to plead for an interest in his own faith and obedience and his justification before God than Job had. Although I suppose he had not so much skill to manage a plea to that purpose with scholastic notions and distinctions as the Jesuits have. But however we may be harnessed with subtle arguments and solutions, I fear it will not be safe for us to adventure farther upon God than he durst to do. There was of old a direction for the visitation of the sick, composed, as they say, by Anselm. Footnote, Anselm was born in 1033 at Aosta in Piedmont, became Archbishop of Canterbury in 1093, and died in 1109. His works extend to three folio volumes. He spent a troubled life in maintaining the usurpations of the clergy and the church against the kings of England. He developed very fully the doctrine of substitution in the atonement. And footnote. And published by Casparus Eulenburgius footnote. An author who published a catechism of Roman Catholic doctrine at Cologne in 1582, and footnote, which expresses a better sense of these things than some seem to be convinced of. Non-English words. That is, dost thou believe that thou canst not be saved by the death of Christ? The sick man answers, Yes. Then, let it be said unto him, Go to then, and whilst thy soul abideth in thee, Put all thy confidence in this death alone. Place thy trust in no other thing. Commit thyself 
holy to this death. Cover thyself holy with this alone. Cast thyself holy on this death. Wrap thyself holy in this death. And if God would judge thee, say, Lord, I place the death of our Lord Jesus Christ between me and thy judgment. And otherwise, I will not contend or enter into judgment with thee. And if he shall say unto thee that thou art a sinner, say, I place the death of our Lord Jesus Christ between me and my sins. And if he shall say unto thee that thou hast deserved damnation, say, Lord, I put the death of our Lord Jesus Christ between thee and my sins, and I offer his merits for my own, which I should have and have not. If he say that he is angry with thee, say, Lord, I place the death of our Lord Jesus Christ between me and thine anger. Those who gave these directions seem to have been sensible of what it is to appear before the tribunal of God and how unsafe it will be for us there to insist on anything in ourselves. Hence are the words of the same Anselm in his meditations, non-English words. My conscience has deserved damnation, and my repentance is not sufficient for satisfaction. But most certain it is that thy mercy aboundeth above all offense. And this seems to me a better direction than those more lately given by some of the Roman church, such as the prayer suggested unto a sick man by Johann, non-English words, or that of a greater author, non-English words. When the day of judgment or of death shall come, all hands will be dissolved, that is, faint or fall down, unto which it is said in another place, Be strengthened, ye hands that hang down, but all hands shall be melted down. That is, all men's strength and confidence shall fail them, because no work shall be found which can answer the righteousness of God, for no flesh shall be justified in his sight. Whence the prophet says in the psalm, If thou, Lord, should markest iniquity, who should stand? And Ambrose, to the same purpose, non-English words. Let no man arrogate anything unto himself. Let no man glory in his own merits or good deeds. Let no man boast of his power. Let us all hope to find mercy by our Lord Jesus. For we shall all stand before his judgment seat. Of him I beg pardon. Of him will I desire indulgence. What other hope is there for sinners? Wherefore, if men will be turned off from a continual regard to the greatness, holiness, and majesty of God by their inventions in the heat of disputation, if they do forget a reverential consideration of what will become them and what they may betake themselves unto when they stand before his tribunal, they may engage into such apprehensions as they dare not abide by in their own personal trial. For how shall man be just with God? Hence, it has been observed that the schoolmen themselves and their meditations and devotional writings, wherein they had immediate thoughts about God, with whom they had to do, did speak quite another language as to justification before God than they do in their wrangling philosophical 
fiery disputes about it. And I had rather learn what some men really judge about their own justification from their prayers than their writings. Nor do I remember that I did ever hear any good man in his prayers use any expressions about justification, pardon of sin, and righteousness before God, wherein any plea from anything in ourselves was introduced or made use of. The prayer of Daniel has, in this matter, been the substance of their supplications. O Lord, righteousness belongs unto Thee, but unto us confusion of faces. We do not present our supplications before Thee for our righteousness, but for Thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. For Thy own sake. O my God. Daniel chapter 9, verse 7, 18, and 19. Or that of the psalmist. Enter not into judgment with Thy servant, O Lord. For in Thy sight shall no living man be justified. Psalms 143 Verse 2, Or, if thou, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayst be feared. Psalms 130, verse 3 and 4, On which words the exposition of Austin is remarkable, speaking of David and applying itself unto him. Non-English words. And whereas we may and ought to represent unto God, in our supplications, our faith, or what it is that we believe herein. I much question whether some men can find in their hearts to pray over and plead before Him all the arguments and distinctions they make use of to prove the interest of our works and obedience in our justification before Him, or enter into judgment with Him upon the conclusions which they make from them. Nor will many be satisfied to make use of that prayer which Pelagius taught the widow as it was objected to him in the Diospolitan Synod. Non-English words. Quote, Thou knowest, O Lord, how holy, how innocent, how pure from all deceit and rapine are the hands which I stretch forth unto thee, how just, how unspotted with evil, how free from lying are those lips wherein I pour forth prayers unto thee, that thou wouldst have mercy on me? Unquote. And yet, although he taught her so to plead her own purity, innocence, and righteousness before God, he does it not as those whereon she might be absolutely justified but only as the condition of her obtaining mercy. Nor have I observed that any public liturgies, the Mass book only accepted, wherein there is a frequent recourse unto the merits and intercession of saints, do guide men in their prayers before God to plead anything for their acceptance with Him, or as a means or condition thereof, but grace, mercy, the righteousness and blood of Christ alone. Wherefore, I cannot but judge it best. Others may think of it as they please. For those who would teach or learn the doctrine of justification in a due manner, to place their consciences in the presence of God and their persons before His tribunal, and then, 
upon a due consideration of His greatness, power, majesty, righteousness, holiness, of the terror of His glory and sovereign authority, to inquire what the Scripture and a sense of their own condition direct them unto as their relief and refuge, and what plea it becomes them to make for themselves. Secret thoughts of God in ourselves, retired meditations, the conduct of the Spirit in humble supplications, deathbed preparations for an immediate appearance before God, faith and love in exercise on Christ, speak of other things, for the most part, than many contend for. Thirdly, a due sense of our apostasy from God, the deprivation of our nature thereby, with the power and guilt of sin, the holiness of the law, necessary unto a right understanding of the doctrine of justification. Method of the Apostle to this purpose, Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Grounds of the ancient and present Pelagianism in the, in the denial of these things. Instances thereof, boasting of perfection from the same ground, knowledge of sin and grace mutually promote each other. Thirdly, a clear apprehension and due sense of the greatness of our apostasy from God, of the deprivation of our natures thereby, of the power and guilt of sin, of the holiness and severity of the law, are necessary unto a right apprehension of the doctrine of justification. Therefore, unto the declaration of it does the apostle premise a large discourse, thoroughly to convince the minds of all that seek to be justified with a sense of these things. Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3. The rules which he has given us, the method which he prescribes, and the ends which he designs, are those which we shall choose to follow. And he lays it down in general, that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, and that the just shall live by faith. Chapter 1, verse 17. But he declares not in particular the causes, nature, and way of our justification, until he has fully convinced that all men are shut up under the state of sin, and manifested how deplorable their condition is thereby, and in the ignorance of these things, in the denying or palliating of them, he lays the foundation of all misbelief about the grace of God. Pelagianism, in its first root, and all its present branches, is resolved whereunto. For not apprehending the dread of our original apostasy from God, nor the consequence of it in the universal deprivation of our nature, they disown any necessity either of the satisfaction of Christ or the efficacy of divine grace for our recovery or restoration. So upon the matter, the principal ends of the mission both of the Son of God and of the Holy Spirit are renounced, which issues in the denial of the deity of the one and the personality of the other. The fall which we had being not great and the disease contracted thereby being easily curable, and there being little or no evil in those things which are now 
unavoidable unto our nature, it is no great matter to be freed or justified from all by a mere act of favor on our own endeavors. Nor is the efficacious grace of God any way needful unto our sanctification and obedience, as these men suppose. When these or the like conceits are admitted, and the minds of men by them kept off from a due apprehension of the state and guilt of sin, and their consciousness from being affected with the terror of the Lord and the curse of the law thereon, justification is a notion to be dealt with pleasantly or subtly, as men see occasion, and hence arise the differences about it at present. I mean those which are really such, and not merely the different ways whereby learned men express their thoughts and apprehensions concerning it. By some, the imputation of the actual apostasy and transgression of Adam, the head of our nature, whereby his sin became the sin of the world, is utterly denied. Hereby both the grounds the apostle proceeds on in invincing the necessity of our justification, or our being made righteous by the obedience of another, and all the arguments brought in the confirmation of the doctrine of it in the fifth chapter of his epistle to the Romans, are evaded and overthrown. So Cenus confesses that place to give great countenance unto the doctrine of justification by the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. And therefore he sets himself to oppose with sundry artifices the imputation of the sin of Adam unto his natural posterity. For he perceived well enough that upon the admission thereof the imputation of the righteousness of Christ unto his spiritual seed would unavoidably follow according unto the tenor of the apostles' discourse. Some deny the deprivation and corruption of our nature, which ensued on our apostasy from God and the loss of His image. Or, if they do not absolutely deny it, yet they so extenuate it as to render it a matter of no great concern unto us. Some disease and distemper of the soul they will acknowledge, arising from the disorder of our affections whereby we are apt to receive in such vicious habits and customs as are in practice in the world. And as of the guilt hereof is not much, so the danger of it is not great. And as for any spiritual filth or stain of our nature that is in it, it is clean washed away from all by baptism. That deformity of soul which came upon us in the loss of the image of God, we're in the beauty and harmony of all our faculties, in all their acting in order unto the utmost end, did consist. That enmity unto God, even in the mind which ensued thereon, that darkness which our understandings were clouded, yea, blinded withal, the spiritual death which passed on the whole soul, and total alienation from the life of God, that impotency unto good, that inclination unto evil, that deceitfulness of sin, that power and efficacy of corrupted lusts, which the scriptures and experience so fully charge in the state of lost nature, are rejected as empty notions or fables. No wonder if such persons look upon imputed righteousness as the shadow of a dream, who esteem those things which evidence itself to be but fond imaginations.
and small hope is there to bring such men to value the righteousness of Christ as imputed to them, who are so unacquainted with their own unrighteousness inherent in them. Until men know themselves better, they will care very little to know Christ at all. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more, at great discounts, are on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, AB, Canada, T. 6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com or swrb at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. SWRB's email list is a double opt-in list, so once you've sent us your email address, you'll be asked by email to confirm that you want to join our list using the email address you have supplied. Your email information will be kept confidential, and you can easily remove yourself from our email list by simply emailing us at swrb at swrb.com with the word remove in the subject line. Once you are on our email list, you will be alerted to all the free Reformation resources, free MP3s, free electronic books and texts, etc., that SWRB makes available on the web, as well as, at times, to our best discounts and super specials. We also encourage you to reproduce this audio resource and to pass it on to your friends. But we only authorize this as long as the full contents of the message including the header and trailer, is not altered in any way, and as long as the audio file or cassette is given away for free. Thank you again for listening to this SWRB reading. And remember that Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 states, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 11 concludes, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you.